the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. You can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Let's give our attention now to God's Word. Let's remember that this is God's Word. Just one verse for us this evening. Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old. He will not depart from it. All right, so here is the question that was submitted to me. I'm just going to read it in full. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and he will not depart from it. Yet many have done our best to raise our children to love the Lord, yet they have strayed from their faith. If we believe that all scripture is God-breathed, then why does the Bible say this in Proverbs 22, verse 6? Now, for the vast majority of these questions, I didn't know who submitted it. It's the case with this one. I don't know who submitted it, but that's a really great question. Do you see that there are a couple of different parts of the question? It, It just talks about what it is that we read in Proverbs 22 here. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The question is... Now, there are some of us that have given ourselves to train up our children knowing the Lord and they have departed from it. How are we supposed to believe what it is the Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 6? If it doesn't seem like this is true in my lived expression. So I think that there are a lot of different aspects to this question and I I want to draw out several of the different aspects Uh, as we seek to answer that question and as we seek to look at Proverbs 22, verse 6. Here's the first thing. The first thing that I want to say is that if you have a child who's walked away, I know that this is some of the deepest pain that somebody can feel. John, the Apostle John, says that he has no greater joy than his children to see his children walking in the truth. I think it's appropriate at the beginning of our time to acknowledge the pain of those that have seen a child stray or walk away. I understand that. And I just want to acknowledge it. And I'm sorry for the weight and the difficulty and the pain that you're experiencing. The second thing that I'd like to say is that God is still sovereign. And that as long as somebody is alive, there continues to be hope. And so one of the things that is our responsibility is to pray that our child would trust in Jesus. We understand sometimes that a child needs to come to his or her senses. We recognize that in the story of the prodigal son, 
The son that was reckless and a spendthrift had to come to the end of his self and the end of his resources to realize that he was living in foolishness before he decided that he was going to return to his father's house. And sometimes that has to happen for our children as well. I mean, I've seen that very thing happen. When I was interning in Bellflower, California, there was, an in, there was a, a, a mentor that was assigned to me. He was one of the elders in the church. And we got together and we talked, and he told me some of his family's story, that they had a son who, while he was in late high school and early college, he became very reckless, terribly disobedient, and renounced any faith in Jesus. And it became so bad that, uh, that my mentor told me, he said, through our tears, my wife and I had to kick our son out of our house. And to show that we were serious, we changed the locks so that he could not get back into our home. And he said, it's the hardest, most terrible thing I've ever had to do. And he said, for a a long period of time, our son was homeless. We weren't sure where he was. We had no contact with him. And he said, and our son came to the end of his self. And he came back, and he apologized, and he returned to church. He started being obedient. He came to his senses. My own grandmother prayed for years and years and years that, well, for her it wasn't a child, but it was that her siblings would come to know Jesus. My great-grandmother left the Netherlands, came to Canada, then came to Racine. She became a Christian because she came to Canada and to the U.S. and the Christian Reformed Church in those particular areas helped her find work and helped her find a place to live because she had come to to meet a man that she was engaged to and he was nowhere to be found when she came to Canada. But the Christian Reformed Church there helped her find a place to be, helped her settle in, gave her resources, and through the ministry of this church, she became a Christian. And she remained a Christian her whole life through, but all of her family that was back in the Netherlands did not trust in Jesus. And so she said, it is my responsibility for the rest of my life to pray that they become Christians. And so for the rest of her life, she prayed that her parents, that her siblings would become Christians. And she wondered sometimes why it wasn't happening. And then um, one day, two of her sisters came from the Netherlands and stayed for an extended period of time with her in Racine, and they became Christians, and they went home to the Netherlands, and my great-grandmother took sick and died, having just seen God say yes to the prayer that she had prayed for her whole life. Sometimes it takes a very long time. But God is sovereign, and it's our responsibility to see when we can share a word and season and pray and pray and pray and pray for the salvation of our children. Or if you're a grandparent, pray for your grandchildren. Pray all the time, especially for the wayward ones. Pray that they return to the good shepherd. Pray that they're claimed by God. The third thing that we should understand is that we need to interpret Proverbs in the context of Proverbs. Proverbs are truisms. Proverbs make one wise because they're pithy statements about the fundamental way that the world works as God has made the world to work. What Proverbs are not is that Proverbs are not promises that if you do this thing, that it is certain you will get this other thing as a result. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Proverbs aren't saying, well, if you do this thing, God is guaranteeing you that you'll get this thing at the other end. Let me give you a few examples. First, Proverbs 10, verse 4. I'll I'll just read the proverb. If your Bible's open, you can page there with me to Proverbs 10, verse 4. But this is what Proverbs 10, 4 says. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, this is a proverb. This is a truism. This is a general statement about the way that the world works. What Proverbs 10.4 is saying that if you are lazy, the way of the world is that you will become poor. Hard work is the way to become wealthy. But it would be a misunderstanding of the proverb to say, well, you know what? I have a friend who's incredibly lazy, but he won the lottery, or he got an inheritance, or he got a massive settlement, so he's also the wealthiest person that I know. Now, if that's the case, that you know a, a lazy person who's also wealthy, it doesn't mean that the proverb is false. It doesn't mean that the scriptures are not inspired. It doesn't mean that Proverbs 10.4 isn't speaking. Proverbs 10.4 is giving you a general statement about the way of the world. It's not telling you that every lazy person must be poor or else the Bible is not true. It's not telling you that every hardworking person must be rich. And so if you have a friend, my dear friend, she's the hardest working person I've ever met, but she's also poor, the Bible must not be true, that would be a misuse of what the Proverbs are seeking to do. Proverbs 10 verse 4 is telling us what is generally true. It's not saying that if you work a certain amount that you are guaranteed to be rich. It's not saying if you are a certain level of lazy that you are guaranteed to be poor. Proverbs don't work like that. Let me give another example. From Proverbs 26, verses 13 to 15. This one, this part of Proverbs is talking about the sluggard. This type of Proverbs is talking about the very lazy person. This type of, uh, this section of Proverbs is talking about the person who's given to sloth. Proverbs 26, verses 13 to 15 says this. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Well, it would be a misuse of the Proverbs to say one of the following things. Well, you know, I've got a very lazy friend, but I've never heard him say that there's a lion in the streets, so he must not be the sluggard that's talked about in Proverbs. It would be a misuse of this to say, well, I've never seen my very lazy friend put her hand in the dish and then not be able to take it back out again. She must not be the sort of person that's being described here in these Proverbs. This must not be what Proverbs 26 is talking about. It'd be a misuse to put it in that way. Proverbs, again, are true statements, and here Proverbs, again, is speaking general truths. They're speaking in generalities, in pithy and clever ways. What this proverb is saying is that people who are overwhelmed by laziness will make ridiculous excuses to get out of work. That's why the the slugger is saying, there's a lion in the street. It's a ridiculous excuse to try to avoid work. And if you know very lazy people, you'll know that this is one of the things that can characterize somebody who's lazy. Ridiculous excuses to avoid working. Proverbs 26 here, verse 14 is saying that people who are lazy aspire to move no more than a door hinge moves. 
They're just staying in bed. Their life is characterized by turning over to one side and then turning over to the other and then turning over to one side and then turning over to the other. It's a vivid pictorial way to describe somebody who's lazy. They're just always in bed. They're never getting out of it. Now just know also it's a misuse of the the proverb to say, hey, if, if you are to the point of exhaustion or if you are sick and you spend the day in bed, well, then you're terribly lazy. That's not what the proverb is trying to get across. The proverb is saying that uh, a lazy person is characterized by ridiculous excuses, by not getting out of bed, and it gets so bad that it's hard for them even to eat. This lazy person that seems to be satisfied only by eating, they get so lazy that it gets hard for them to even eat. We might say that a, a person is, uh, is so slothful that They won't even go out to eat. They only ever eat through DoorDash or Grubhub. That is what would characterize the sluggard. Now again, if you've ever eaten through DoorDash or Grubhub, it doesn't mean that you're the sluggard either, right? This is talking about what would generally characterize somebody that's lazy. It's a misuse of the proverb to try to stretch it too far or to say, well, I've seen one exception, so the Bible must not be true. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. Parents are responsible to train up their children to know the Lord. That's what the proverb is telling us and instructing us. But parents should not bear the guilt of their children's sin. Let me read to you from James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verses 12 through 15 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, When it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that each person is tempted by their own desire. If your child has given themselves over to sin or has walked away, there can sometimes be terrible guilt on the part of the parent. It's not your guilt to bear. It's your child's. Now, this should drive us again to pray that they will turn to Jesus and have their burden of sin and guilt lifted at the cross. Sixth, and finally, this is the final thing that I wanted to say in relation to this. Proverbs 22, verse 6, does tell us of a solemn charge that parents have been given. Proverbs 22, verse 6, does tell us that it is utterly necessary to train children to know the Lord. That is a proper implication of this section of scripture. Train up the child in the way that he should go and when and even when he is old he will not depart from it. That the ordinary way of things is that God will make use that he will make use of the parents instruction and discipleship and catechesis to the end 
of that child walking on the right path and following after God. And so let me conclude by uh, sharing with you some wisdom from a minister in the Christian Reformed Church who has preached here, Chris Gansky. Some wisdom that's drawn out of the Proverbs here. And it's wisdom that, that calls us to strive so that our children will know the Lord. Chris Gansky decided that he was going to, uh, well, he, you know, he's a theologian, he loves using big words, so these are his disputations on the catechesis of children. I'll tell you what that means. It means, uh, here's some wisdom for training up your child. That's what that means. I think these are really wise. And I think that these apply very deeply to Proverbs 22, verse 6. So let me share with you 10 things. Remembering that a solemn task is to train up a child in the way that he should go. All right, here's the first. The single greatest gift that you can give your children is your own love for God. We don't love our kids better by prioritizing them more than we do our own love for God. It's precisely when we love God more than we love them that the love of God purifies and elevates our other loves. The genuineness of our faith will always be the strongest testimony and witness to the reality of Christ Jesus. God will be real to them when he's real to us. Here's a second bit of wisdom for training up children. You can't outsource the training up of children to the church or to the Christian school or to grandparents You are the single greatest spiritual influence on the life of your children. And God has given parents the unique responsibility of shaping the moral and spiritual instincts and appetites of children. Church, school, and extended family play a critical role, but they cannot replace the spiritual nurture of fathers and mothers. Here's another one. Your children need the regular and consistent presence of the church and the community of faith in their life more than they need sports, extracurricular activities, and weekend family getaways. The church is the place where our kids learn that the Christian faith isn't simply my family truth, but that Christian faith is a kingdom-claiming reality that's cosmic in scope. The cosmic scope of faith becomes most manifest in the midst of the church's gathered life together. Church is the place that kids learn to worship corporately, develop spiritual friendship, and come under spiritual nurture and care of an extended family of spiritual aunts, uncles, mothers, and fathers. Here's the next one. You need to give your kids a grand, central story grounded in the gospel. Whatever story has the most plausibility and inner appeal is the story that will be most authoritative in the life of your kids. Every culture has grand narratives about the self, the world, and God or God's absence that are constantly being transmitted to us. Story is authoritative because it grips the imagination. A story has struck when it orients us instinctually in the world. 
Training up children isn't simply teaching propositional truths about God. It includes that, but it's giving kids a sense of the truth of God in the story of salvation history, which through baptism they've become participants in. At its core, training up is formation in the story of the gospel, a story about God's creative, saving, and restoring work. Here's another one for training up. The best way to protect your children from the world is to teach them how to fight. You must explicitly teach your kids that being a Christian means belonging to a countercultural way of living and thinking that puts their life in tension with the world. We must be diligent to protect our children from the subtle and destructive influences that seek to co-opt their hearts and imaginations. These stories must always come to us in subtle and innocent forms. However, in any culture, but especially in a digital age, there's ultimately no way to finally protect your kids from the influences of the world. You must be attentive to the competing stories that seek to capture their hearts and imagination. And as parents, we must learn to out-narrate the culture. We must tell a better story. This will help them engage the world from a place not of fear or reaction, but a place of loving, curious, and critical engagement. Here's another one. Labor mightily at maintaining a deep and consistent liturgical life in the home. Kids need ritual. They thrive and depend on consistent structures and patterns of living. Ritual shapes their desires and their imaginations. The rituals of our life reflect the organizing loves of our life. We find the most liturgy and ritual around us, uh, around the things that we love most. Without ritual, our lives become chaotic and formless and our loves wax and wane. Home catechesis, home training up, is about developing liturgies around the love of God, devotional practices that involve regular prayer, scripture study, participation in the church's worship, community life, and mission. There needs to be a dogged intentionality about this because the nature of adolescence, along with the distractions of a secular age, conspire against consistency. Think about the structure and pattern of your family life and make hard choices that bring the pattern of that life in line with the gospel story we are called to live into. And here's the last one. If you don't teach your kids about sex, the culture will. Father and mothers must be proactive in teaching their kids about the biblical meaning of sexuality. You'll need to stay in control of the narratives and out front of what they will be exposed to in school and through friends. The health of your own marriage will be the greatest resource and example that forms their thinking about sexuality. Teach them from the goodness and health of your own marriage about the beauty and dignity of being created male and female and in the image of God. Teach and model for them God's good design for sexuality and marriage. Create an open and holy atmosphere in your home where they feel safe and free to ask curious and difficult questions about the meaning of sex. Don't be naive about the temptation and struggle with pornography, especially for boys. The pernicious and pervasive reality of it will reach your kids sooner than you would imagine. More and more young men in our culture are getting their sexual catechesis from pornography. You need to have a bold and aggressive plan for sexual catechesis in your home. Now, I offer those as pieces of wisdom for you. I think they're really, really helpful. I think they're really, really good. I think that's excellent from Reverend Dr. Gansky. I offer to them to you because there is a solemn charge given to you parents to train up children in the way that they should go. There's a solemn charge to give yourself, to devote yourself to that task. It's extremely important that you do this. 
And so I don't want to back away at all from what it is that the Bible is saying in Proverbs 22, verse 6. I don't want to back away at all from, from the wisdom contained here that, that training in godliness often leads to life in godliness. But I want to communicate it in such a way that doesn't promise you that if you give yourself to, to training up your children that you are going to get the sort of child that you might have prayed for. Sin is a powerful, tempting force. And the enemy is real and will work to try to steal away your children from Christ and from his church. And so it may be, it may be that you, that you gave your life trying to train up your kids to know Jesus. And they're not, they're not walking with him anymore. What I don't want is for you to, to come to the place where you're like, well, if, if only I had done, if only I had done a little bit more. See what, we can't change the past. But God is sovereign. And so we trust his purposes even in this. And we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray that God might draw them back. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.